Hey there, and welcome to the Oscars Death Race podcast, where we try to watch all the Oscar-nominated movies or die trying. My name is Paulo, and I'm your host. Hope everyone's doing well out there. Apologies for this pretty late episode for this week. Uh, in fact, it's coming into the next week. Um, thanks for talking along with my death race. Um, as with last week, I had plans to watch a certain number of films, but got significantly deviated from, uh, slightly deviated from that schedule. Um, I hit the same number of films due to uh, Alika the documentary being only available on Prime up to the end of the tw- up, up to the end of February on the twenty eighth. So instead of watching um, Coming to America, I ended up watching Attica instead, which I'll talk about. In a future episode, um, but still on pace, I think, for the episode. Um, now, it doesn't help that this coming week is uh, the week of my move to a new apartment, which is why this episode is uh, late as it is. Um, so, you know, I'm going to, I'm kind of occupied, and, and as well as also being occupied with kind of everything going on in the world, um, if you know what I mean. But, you know, here we are with the death race uh, and, and carrying on. Um, as far as my current race status, I'm up to 30 films completed for the death race out of 38 features with all 15 sorts left to go. What I have left feature-wise are the two Best Picture nominees, uh, Licorice Pizza and Drive My Car, who also are the last two screenwrite screenplay films um, I need to, or the last two uh, screenplay films I needed to watch. Um, so that's two, and then I have three of the five documentaries left to watch, um, and then so that's five. Uh, Coming to America for to finish out hair and makeup at six, and then No Time to Die uh, in three categories, as well as our breakthrough film of the year, uh, Four Good Days, bringing me up to eight uh, remaining feature films. Now, originally, I was planning on watching Licorice Pizza and Drive My Car this coming uh, next episode. Um, but, you know, Licorice Pizza is actually only going to be available to purchase. I don't really feel like buying it. I'm going to wait till it's rentable, which I think should happen on the 15th. Um, and then Drive My... And then... And then also the fact that this movie is making it I'm unlikely to have an uninterrupted three hours of time to watch Drive My Car in the next week, um, on a, uh, which I think it deserves based on what I've heard. I'm probably going to push those back uh, a week. Um, now, instead, <laughs> now despite me trying to... Uh, um, you know, trying to move. I'm going to try to find time to knock out uh, Coming to America and ideally also watch the, the first film, which I never sat down and watched in, compl- to, uh, in its entirety before. Um, then we'll see if uh, my move uh, allows me to have the, the luxury to be able to do that. So I'm going to try to watch Coming to America um, as well as two of the remaining three documentary features, um, Summer of Soul, um, which is available on Hulu, and then Ascension, which I just got Paramount Plus because uh, they were currently offer- they were offering, as of recording, an 80% off deal for their one year anniversary so paying a dollar a month for the next three months um uh with ads is you know fair enough for me to to watch uh, ascension now the reason i'm not doing all documentaries is because the last doc uh writing with fire is unfortunately not going to be available on vod until after the oscar ceremony on the 29th luckily there still is hope for the death race uh there are some virtual screenings for it i'm signed up to watch one on the 17th um which you know so i think you know if you're not watching one of those and you don't want to you know sail the high seas for it so to speak um you know this could potentially be the one to ruin your race so make sure you look up you look for these uh free screenings available online um I would double check too also that these screenings are uh, the entire film. I've seen some reports that some of these screenings, especially from PBS stations, are only a one-hour excerpt from the two-hour film. Uh, So make sure you check on that when signing up. Uh, Worst case, again, there are versions of it floating around on the high seas, um, though for me that is a last resort. 
Um, and then, you know, depending on my availability this week, though it's looking less and less likely it'll be the case, but I'll try to knock out one of the sort categories, uh, which are largely available online, either animation or documentary. Um, we'll see what you know this week holds for me. Um, and then, you know, as far as finishing off the rest of the race, you know, also the 15 live actions, um, you know, again, those are also available on the sort on the high seas at this point, but I am hoping to, you know, try to finish this film as legit as possible. And so hopefully sometime before the 27th, I'm able to make it down to the IFC Center to watch the live action sorts uh, in the sorts TV program uh, in theaters. Uh, in the meantime, though, while I am still tugging along at my race, we have some people who have completed their death race. Um, according to OscarsDeathRace.com, uh, we have, uh, a, as of recording, uh, 42 racers who have completed their race, uh, 14 more than last week. So, congratulations are due to ATX840, Chris FHD, Magnus Bay, uh, hope I'm pronouncing that right, Magnus B, um, Letterboxd King 5000, uh, Zaz, Macy Pugh, uh, Barnett. Barnard, uh, Chasset, Morty, JMW Songs, Tassos, M. Glenn Johnson, Melaine Cleary, and CK3. Congrats to all of you who have completed the race so far, uh, and good luck to everyone who is still racing out there. Um, also, a reminder, if you haven't yet joined our Discord community, we've got our annual Deathies Awards coming up, our second annual Deathies Awards, um, where everyone in the Academy, an uh, uh, Academy of Death Racers, um, are going to be able to vote uh, on all the Oscar nominees. Um, you know, so obviously, you know, we uh, here, as opposed to some members of the Academy, haven't seen all of the films uh, in question um so you know we uh, so the, the academy hasn't seen all the films in question whereas you know we we're trying to um which in our mind makes us a uh, maybe a better judge of what should and should not have won the oscar each year so that's our attempt at that uh, in addition to the typical oscar categories um we have our own academy of death racers specific categories from our five branches um we don't work in the industry so instead our five branches kind of reflect various interests we have um these categories were announced this past saturday um and so the nominees for for the, for the second annual Deathies Awards are from the indie branch, the two indie for the Oscars film. Um, so these are only films that were not nominated for the Oscars. Uh, we have Belle, Come On, Come On, Green Knight, The Novice, and Silver Baby. Uh, for the food and drink brands, they nominate a scene uh, from a film from the past year that, that incorporates food and drink. Um, we have the end of day's dinner scene from Don't Look Up. We have the Trinidad al Pesto from Luca. Uh, the restaurant scene from Pig. The spread from Siva Baby. And Pearl Soup from Spencer. Um, the creators branch, which I'm part of, you know, we have the biggest cow award, which is the award that we uh, um, you know, we were able to milk for all it's worth for our content. Um, the five nominees here are Black Widow, Don't Look Up, Dune, Spider-Man No Way Home, and Titan. Uh, we have a new branch this year, the Kino branch, who has the most Kino film, um, the best of the best films out there. Um, this includes Bad Luck Bang or Looney Poon, uh, F9, House of Gucci, Malignant, and Venom, Let There Be Carnage. Uh, and then finally, we have the Animal Lovers Branch, which gives an award to the best animal performance out there. Um, the nominees for this category are Clifford from Clifford the Big Red Dog, 
Wink from Cruella, Monty from Mitchell vs. the Machines, The Pig from Pig, and Morris from Sangsi and the Legends of the Ten Rings. Uh, the Yak from Yak in the Classroom was robbed, I tell you. Um, but again, that's how my advance. So, you know, congratulations to all the nominees here. Um, you know, voting for these, I believe, is starting in the coming weeks. Um, and, you know, the Deathies Awards will be announced uh, the night before the Oscars on the 26th. Um, so, should be a good time there. Make sure, you know, you try to finish your death race and, and do your voting uh, for the Academy of Death Racers. It's free to enter, you know, so, you know, definitely a, definitely a fun time to be had by all. Um, again, you can join us at the Discord, uh, which will be linked in the show notes. Um, now, you know, one thing that we do at ours is, uh, you know, we definitely give all of the um, all of the uh, shows or all of the categories at the Oscars their fair due, um, which, you know, the, the fallout from the... Uh, from the current uh, situation with the Oscars and, uh, you know, m- some categories getting moved off, um, you know, kind of continues with the drama going on there. Um, you know, Tom Fleischman, who's an Oscar-winning sound engineer, ended up resigning from the Academy over this controversial, you know, telecast situation where, you know, editing and sound being one of the, being some of the categories being eliminated from the live broadcast. Um, and, you know, I mean, there were also reports that, you know, apparently ABC uh, ended up being part of the big deal where, you know, via clause in their contract apparently um, if 12 categories were not removed from the show out of the 23 um, apparently they would end up uh, cutting cutting the show entirely um, and you know they were able to negotiate down to 8 I guess with this deal but man I, I guess maybe it's ABC who are the bad guys in all of this still um, you know definitely uh, definitely a, a, a wild situation there um, now you know and I, I am I am also going to say here that you know coming up you know maybe not uh, this week uh, the, um, but you know next week starting on the 16th I'm going to be hosting kind of like I did earlier in the in this season um, instead of an, an Oscar uh, nominations prediction contest I'm going to have the Oscar winners prediction contest um, so the way this is going to work is you know we have 23 categories um, each category you know there there's you know obviously going to be one film that wins each category so you know you get one point per category that's uh, picture you know kind of having twice the number of nominees i'm going to give two points um since it's also the big award for the night so that's 24 points total and then just for fun i'm going to throw in um the uh the two kind of not re- not for real categories in my opinion uh best oscar cheer moment and best uh fan f- and fan favorite moment from twitter um for half a point each for 25 points total so you know starting uh Starting on March 16th, I'm going to have a Google Doc, a Google uh, form, which I'm going to link in the uh, in, on the various subreddits and also in the in the Discord, um, where you can go ahead and enter. Again, free to enter. There's also no prize really, so it's just kind of like for fun, for bragging rights, to see who ends up uh, predicting the correct ones. It's not who you think should win. Um, that's what voting in the Academy of Death Racers is for, but rather what you think will win uh, on the 27th. Um, this will run. This this form will be open from the 16th through. I'm going to say noon Eastern. Eastern time uh, on the 27th since you know we don't know what the deal is going to be with you know when things going to be announced via Twitter or whatnot because things going to be recorded early um, so we're going to do our best you know we're going to have the um we're going to, you know, have that and you know tiebreakers will be um, first off if you you have to have uh, if there's a tie whoever if someone corrected guessed, corrected, correctly guessed the best picture nominee um, over someone who did not with the same number of points, they win. And if there's a further tie between people who both guessed the correct best picture nominee, uh, we're going to end up having um, the uh, the timestamp be the, the tiebreaker there. So again, that's not coming out this week. It's going to be opening up on March 16th. So make sure you enter that just for some fun to see how your uh, prediction skills go. 
Uh, to help you with that, um, you know, we do have some uh, categories that ended up, um, you know, some uh, um, some awards uh, this weekend uh, or this past week that ended up getting um, get, getting given out to a couple of guilds. Um, now, you know, since now I originally had planned for this episode to come out maybe like Thursday or Friday last week. Obviously, it's Sunday night as of recording this, so you know, a couple more awards. So it's the Ace Awards and the and the Art Directors Guild as well as the Independent Spirit Awards have since come out. Um, you know, I don't have time, frankly, at the moment to go back and add them into my script. So I'm going to cover them next week. Um, but, you know, for the stuff that came out last week and even, you know, the the, the International Documentary Awards, which I believe was Friday, um, those I'll go ahead and cover this week that maybe help you uh, think about your predictions for the upcoming Oscars for the contest. So, you know, the biggest awards were the Screen Actor Guild Awards, or the SAG Awards, which were celebrated on the 27th. Um, and now, as acting makes up the largest contingent within the Academy, it's a pretty good indicator to see who will win those specific categories. Uh, for lead actor, Will Smith for King Richard, as expected, took home the, the win over the exact same set of nominees for the Oscars, which I think solidifies his chance to be uh, finally get his, his overdue Oscar at this point. Um, in lead actress, Jessica Chastain in Eyes of Tammy Faye ended up winning here. Now, of the Oscar nominees, Olivia Colman and Nicole Kidman were also nominated at the SAG Awards, while Penelope Cruz and Kristen Stewart were not in contention that night. Uh, I'm still holding out hope that Kristen Stewart will win at the Oscars, though, as we'll talk about later, I actually was pretty... Uh, Pretty well received. I received Chastain's uh, performance pretty well, so I would I would be happy with a win for her um, at the Oscars as well. Uh, for Best Supporting Actor, Troy Kotcher for his role in CODA somewhat upset Cody Smith-McPhee, who was the presumed winner from Power of the Dog. Now, while they are the only two uh, candidates uh, overlapping between SAG and the Oscars, I would really hope that Kotcher continues the momentum into Oscar night, as I think that's probably CODA's best chance for a win uh, the entire evening. And, uh, you know, frankly, I really enjoyed his performance even more than, than uh, Cody Smith-McPhee. So um, I would definitely be happy with a Troy Kotcher win. Um, for supporting actress, no big surprise, Ariana DeBose won for her role in the West Side Story. Uh, the only other overlapping nominee was Kirsten Dunst, but I would say she's probably of the four acting categories. Ariana DeBose is the most likely to win for Sir. Now, the SAG Awards also uh, gave an award for Best Stunt Ensemble to No Time to Die over Black Widow, Dune, Matrix Resurrections, and Sanctuary. I think that actually may indicate perhaps that No Time to Die has an outside chance um, at upsetting Dune or Spider-Man No Way Home for visual effects, though obviously stunt, uh, in some people's opinions, mine included, should be an additional category separate from visual effects. And then for the SAG Awards equivalent of Best Picture, uh, Best Performance by a Cast in the Motion Picture, this went to Coda over Belfast, Don't Look Up, House of Gucci, and King Richard. Now, while I don't think that meaningfully puts them near frontrunner status for the Best Picture, it certainly doesn't hurt. Um, I would probably have Coda maybe in my top five, maybe even top four or three uh, of potential winners on Oscar night for Best Picture at this point because of this. Uh, shout out to the deaf, to the deaf and non-hearing members of Coda, as this is the first time disabled performers were nominated for the award and of course the first time to win um, another first over on the TV side which I know this is a film podcast but bear with me I, I really enjoyed uh, Squid Game uh, they got some love with recognizing Lee Jung Jae and Ho Yun Jung for best lead actor and actress in a drama being respectively the first and second Asian and Korean actors in their categories to do so with Squid Game also taking home stunt ensemble um, 
Now, the next, now, you know, while SAG was the only guild to actually have the award this week, um, there were some other potential precursor awards announced. Uh, USC, the film school, uh, has an award called the USC Scripter Awards, meant to honor the best adapted screenplay. Now, admittedly, it's not the best indicator as of late. Uh, last year, they awarded it to Nomadland, and that wasn't even, and they didn't even nominate the final winner of the uh, of the uh, of the Oscars adapted screenplay, The Father. Um, the year prior, they gave it to Little Woman instead of Jojo Rabbit, uh, and in twenty eighteen. USC gave it to Leave No Trace uh, without even nominating Black Klansman. Now, prior to that, though, you know they matched exactly the winner between 2010 uh, and 2017 uh, with Social Network through 2018's uh, Call Me By Your Name. Um, now, this year, they gave the award to The Lost Daughter over fellow Oscar nominees Dune and Power of the Dog. I believe Power of the Dog is the favorite best adapted screenplay, so uh, we'll see if The Lost Daughter is able to uh, return to the pre-2018 trend or if it continues to, to vary between the two. Uh, next, generally, I don't look at critics awards. I tend to look at uh, industry awards because, you know, again, critics aren't voting on the Academy and the Oscars. Um, it's industry people who do. That being said, I do want to call out uh, the Hollywood Critics Association Awards as I, uh, you know, really enjoyed the lineup of winners. Um, Coda, they have gotten getting Best Picture, Best Supporting Actor for Tori Kotzer, and Best Adapted Screenplay. Andrew Garfield won for Tick, Tick, Boom um, uh, for Best Actor. Kristen Stewart for Best Actor. Actress for Spencer, Ariana DeBose for Best Supporting Actress, Jane Campion tying with Denis Villeneuve for Director, who's not nominated at the Oscars, uh, Missiles vs. the Machines for Best Animated Film, Drive My Car for International, Dune taking score, cinematography, and visual effects, Nightmare Alley taking production design, uh, Cruella taking costume and hair and makeup, going to Tammy Faye. Literally zero issues with any of these winners on my part. Uh, now, over on the documentary side of things, we have two awards to talk about. Um, the Cinema Eye Honors, which honors nonfiction and documentary filmmaking, had their awards on March 1st. Uh, for their top award, Outstanding Nonfiction Feature, uh, Triple Threat Film Flea took home the top prize. Uh, the other overlapping Oscar nominees were Ascension and Summer of Soul. Summer of Soul did get top editing, and Ascension got three awards with Top Cinematography, Score, and Best Debut Documentary. Now, for their Outstanding Nonfiction Sort Award, that award went to Three Songs for Benazir, which is the only film overlapping with the Oscars. Uh, and then the other award, award was on March 4th, the Independent Documentary Association. Um, Flea ended up taking Best Feature here as well, over fellow Oscar nominees Riding with Fire uh, and Summer of Soul. Um, that being said, Summer of Soul did have the most wins of the night with three total, Best Director, Best Editing, as well as Best Music Documentary. So I would say Flea is probably the front runner based on these precursors, but Summer of Soul definitely has broad appeal on, on a technical level. Also, it's also worth noting that these two awards haven't really matched up that well uh, in past years. Um, for IDA, um, you know, uh, the past years from 2020 up through 29, uh, 2017 have not matched. Um, the most recent film that matched between the two was 2016's OJ Made in America. And then for Cinema Eye Honors, um, that hasn't really matched. So that's, I think, because some films are eligible in different years between them and the Oscars. So, for example, uh, last year the Oscars went to My, uh, My Octopus Teacher, while the year before, uh, while, and then the year before it went to American Factory. Uh, meanwhile, for Cinema, Cinema Eye Honors, they gave American Factory the award last year. So hard to say if these two documentary awards mean anything, but um, they're probably one of the best indicators we might have at this point uh, for that category. 
Uh, in any case, I'm about 20 minutes into this episode. So, you know, let's actually get to talking about the films that I saw this past week, as well as some before the nominations. Um, let's start by finishing off the best uh, international category aside from Drive My Car, I guess. So, not really finishing it off, but, um, you know, the film I meant to last watch last week, uh, Lunana, A Yak in the Classroom. Uh, Lunana is a film from Bhutan that actually had its world debut at the 2019 BFI London Film Festival and won awards at various 2020 film festivals as well, though due to the way nominations work, I guess it was eligible for this year's Oscars. Um, it is both Bhutan's first time being nominated for the Best International Feature category, um, as well as the debut film of director Power Chunying Dorji. Hopefully I'm pronouncing that right. Um, the story follows Ugyen, a kind of you know millennial school teacher uh, in Bhutan, uh, who is assigned to, wrote, uh, to the remote town of Lunana to be a school teacher and learning not only a simpler way of life, but also about himself. Uh, with very few reviews on Rotten Tomatoes, it currently sits at 100% from critics, no audience score, while on Loaderbox it has a 3.6 out of 3k viewers. Um, it's currently available on VOD for purchase or for rental. Now, overall, my thoughts on this film are that, you know, what stand out to me is, well, so... You know, again, this is Bhutan's first nomination, and right, and and Bhutan really isn't the um, locale you think of that has a lot of films, right? Um, you know, when you think of Asian films, you know, there's a, there's a very strong uh, Japanese film, obviously. Korea is definitely up and coming. Um, as a Filipino, I know there's definitely a Filipino Filipino in industry. You know, that kind of varies between the very serious films as well as kind of like the light-hearted rom-coms. Um, and then you know, obviously, China has a massive industry as well. So Bhutan isn't really one. And you know, looking up the industry of of Bhutan. Uh, film industry. You know, traditionally, looking what I could find in in, uh, in Wikipedia um, is that generally, you know, they've only produced about thirty films a year, right? Um, and you know, for a long time, it was really influenced by the Bollywood, uh, you know, just, uh, Bollywood uh, format, um, you know, history based on their, uh, you know, proximity to, to London or to India. Um, that being said, you know, it's definitely tilted more in recent years from what I've seen to more Bhutanese uh, films with a lot of heavy emphasis on various Buddhist teachings and traditions um, and you know and, and and that kind of like is obviously a huge element of the culture as well as um, and, and kind of the bleeds into their cult their films here um, and for that you know I could definitely see that meditative element to Lunana right um, it's kind of uh, the story of, of, of again Ugin who is um, you know kind of coming terms to what he wants with life and, and kind of like kind of learning to deal with his circumstances in a very Buddhist way um, but not in a way that really feels like it's you know like uh oh it's someone from the west you know fetishizing you know buddha obviously you tell this is something very personal to to the filmmaker right um and you know some of the cinematography was amazing you know they apparently spent like two months kind of hiking up to this real remote town uh, lunana in bhutan eight apparently an eight-day walk from the nearest um from the nearest town um you know, uh, you know, no ro no roads or whatever. You have to actually hike up there, um, and you know, spending a couple of months out up there and those beautiful landscapes um, of the mountains. And and you know, there's a lot of themes in here as well. You know, talks about cl cl uh, climate climate uh, climate change of impacting them, and you know, the you know the 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 kind of the more intellectual, the more well educated people of Bhutan moving out of the country and kind of the impact of that. So you kind of get the sense that this is very much a Bhutanese film. Um, I really enjoyed getting that sense of you know, I think that's one of the best things about the international categories. You get a true sense of what living at these places are like while also finding that common human, like, common um, human element that's international that that is common to everyone regardless of, of ethnicity or nationality, right? Like, you know, the, the quest the quest for um 
Ugin to, you know, figure out, like, what he wants and, you know, kind of learning to deal with his surroundings. That's something that even if it's, we don't have to like, hike up to a yak, um, that's still something that we as humans all f- figure out. Um, now, it is, you know, somewhat predictable, right? But it's kind of like like code in a lot of ways where you can kind of tell where the story is going as soon as like the first 15 minutes pop up and kind of knowing the premise uh, you know yeah mild spoilers but again again you can't tell what's happening you know this guy he he's, he's working this job he's not really interested he's interested in emigrating to you know Australia to find a job as a singer in Australia and make it big um, but you know because of his job working for the government which really interesting also sidebar that you really again part of the getting sense of Bhutan is that you know the whole idea of gross national happiness of how you know the government I mean, this is a real thing, uses, you know, various measures of happiness as a way to measure the well-being of the country as opposed to GDP, which is definitely an idea I think, you know, more countries should adopt. But, you know, him as a worker for the government, as a teacher, is kind of on this contract to help provide education, right? And him finding that motivation and drive in life, you know, because of maybe he's forced into the situation where he does need to go out, you know, beyond self-service and everything. But, you know, he ends up finding, you know, find, and he ends up being reluctant. He wants to go home, but then something changes his mind that he wants, that he ends up deciding he wants to stay. And then at, toward the end, oh, he has a chance to leave. What will he do? Um, I will say I'm a little disappointed at the ending. Again, spoilers, he, he does end up going off to Australia, but kind of realizes when he's over there that what he's missing by not being uh, in Lunana. Um, so I think that was, you know, maybe a little bit of a disappointment, but still very much kind of very predictable but it's done in such a charming way like Coda I mentioned that you know you can't I, I you I can't really find any fault in it being cheesy um so you know it, it, it is it is cheesy and I will say you know kind of that, that turn of him realizing oh I want to stay here probably a little bit rushed um but again right that this is the director's first film right and he got Oscar nominated and Bhutan is really come it's kind of Bhutan's coming out on the film industry internationally right um so i think to giving giving those circumstances i can really you know appreciate this film for what it is um and, and kind of what it's trying to share right um i also will just say aside that i really enjoyed kind of like the emphasis on music throughout which is again i think a really clever element that music is a universal thing and kind of the different ways that music come up being him being a singer beforehand him using the guitar in his lessons and then him learning the traditional you know yak songs and you know i definitely did get not quite teared up but definitely emotional when um you know the leader ended up singing this yak song uh toward the end um which again animal lovers you guys messed up by not nominating the yak from yak in the classroom but whatever um any case uh i really enjoyed this film um i would say you know i think thinking about the other four and the other uh, international films i think i liked it more than definitely liked it more than hand of god probably liked it more than Flea just on a pure enjoyment level I think Flea is probably a little bit more technically competent but I think this one I just really enjoyed visually a lot more um there's roughly third there, and then I think I probably have it behind the worst person in the world. So, um, and I and you know again can't count my chicken until I've seen Drive My Car. But uh, from what I heard of it, I think I probably like, like, like Drive My Car most. So I would say this is my third out of five uh, international feature films, which you know matches my score for it. Three out of five yaks. So moving on to this week's theme, um, talking about the technical films. Um, last week I'd mentioned I went to see Serrano uh, at the Angelica Film Center, but you know I uh, ended up saving it for to review this week. So here it goes. Uh, Serrano is a musical romantic drama directed by Joe Wright of Pride and Prejudice and Darkest Hour fame. It's an adaptation of a 2018 stage musical written by Erica Schmidt that itself adapts the 1897 play by Edmund uh, Rostand, uh, which is the play called Serrano the Birds about a real historian 
historical figure. Now, Erica Schmidt is also the wife of Peter Dinklage, who plays the titular Serrano both in this film and on that original, uh, or I guess at that 2018 stage adaptation. Um, also coming from that stage adaptation is actually it was the stage musical, um, um, and Haley Bennett plays Serrano's love interest, Roxanne. She also comes over from the stage musical. And then the songs composed by American rock band The National carried over from the stage uh, to the um, to the to the film as well. Uh, the film debuted at the Telluride Film Festival in September of last year with a qualifying run December. Um, now it had a limited release or, or and or wide release scheduled for sometime in Fe- January and February before you know the whole COVID situation kind of messed it up. Um, it ended up releasing last week and or I guess at this point two weekends ago, uh, February twenty fifth. It's currently nominated for best costumes. Uh, audience and critics have it at an eighty six percent on Rotten Tomatoes, while Letterbox has it at a three point three out of twelve K viewers. Serrano is currently only in theaters. So, you know, aside, you know, now putting the, the credit to the credit of this film as well, really disappointed, I think, uh, in United Artists, uh, who are the distributor on this film. They really messed up, I think. I think this film definitely had the potential to get a lot more Oscar nominations, but I think moving the dates around so it's confusing when it was going to be out and then kind of pushing it back, not having a limited platform release before going wider and so on. I think that really messed up this film's chances, um, you know, to really get some momentum going going into award season. At least, you know, it got the one nominations for for costume, which I'm glad because I did enjoy the film, probably more than a lot of people I've seen on the Discord. Um, but I'm also a sucker for musicals to some degree, so... Um, that being said, you know, you know, we'll get to the technical bit in a little bit, but I will say, you know, I could definitely could have seen, you know, Peter Dinklage coming in, um, probably over Javier Bardem for sure. Um, probably some, I, I would, I would put, put him in maybe as the fifth, uh, best lead actor here, um. Uh, you know, he's kind of, you know, he, and, you know, if you've seen Game of Thrones, you know Peter Dinklage, and it's, it's a combination of the bravado and the wit, but also, like, that heavy soul that he kind of carries around within him. Um, I really appreciate kind of, like, the adaptation from the original play from 1897. You know, the original, you know, ni- like, 19th century play was, oh, Serrano is, you know, really witty, and he's really, you know, and he's good at swordplay, but he has a really big nose, so he's really ugly, and no one will like him. I don't think that would have really worked with this year, with a modern uh, society. Now, I think if Serrano had, no, I think using Peter Dinklage's dwarfism um, as kind of like the physical handicap, I think makes a lot more sense, and I think really adds adds to that. Um, now, you know, also, you know, listening to the Director's Cut podcast, I also appreciate how they would, they made this during um, made this during COVID. I think they were on the island of Sicily, which I think had pretty strict COVID requirements, and they set up a bubble there. Um, and, you know, I, I, I wouldn't have been able to tell this was saw during the pandemic just because of how lively the production quality of this was. Um, was it cheesy as a musical? Yeah. You know, it's definitely not the typical uh, musical music that you'd expect from, like, a Broadway play or something. But, you know, I... I'm not really, I'm not really particularly a fan of the national. You know, I don't really know who they were before hearing of this, and you know, I maybe would have liked to see maybe one of the songs make it as over, you know, maybe for good days or whatever, but for best original song, maybe wouldn't have had had the score, but um, you know, I definitely. I found it enjoyable, right? And that one song specifically, I guess, about uh, people going off to war in light of recent events, I think, really hits a little bit differently um, when you watch that back. Now you know, getting to the uh, getting to the costumes, you know, again, couldn't tell this was made during COVID. Um, can't really think of anything else. May- maybe Green Knight or whatever. But I definitely am. Gl- maybe may- may- you know, maybe uh, I don't know. Fence Dispatch. I haven't seen that, right? But you know, I definitely. I'm glad that this one got nominated because you know, and and I think the costumes were well deserved, right? Um, you know, 
being a musical, you not only have to have good-looking, period-appropriate costumes, which, you know, the guy who made Prejudice, of course, he's going to like kind of like have an eye for that. But on top of that, you know, since it's a musical, people have to be able to dance in these and move them around set. And it has to look good cinematographically when the, they flare out when they move. Um, I think that really is an, also an understated part of these films, uh, of this of the costume design here. So I think costume nomination is well-deserved. Um, I don't think it's going to win for, you know, another film we'll talk about in a second. Um, and again, I'm a bit of a sucker for musicals. So I have a very low bar for what it takes for me to enjoy a musical. Um, so I gave it four out of five. You know, maybe over time I'll I'll, I'll kind of look back and think, eh, maybe that was a three out of five, not a four out of five. But at the moment, I think I like this a little bit more than the average person. Uh, next up, we have Eyes of Tammy Faye. Um, now, this one is a biopic directed by Michael So Walter, uh, most recently director of Big Sick and Lovebirds. Um, this is about the rise and fall of the televangelist Tammy Faye Baker, played by Jessica Chastain, based on a 2000 documentary of the same name. Um, she stars opposite your friendly neighborhood Andrew Garfield as her husband Jim Baker. Um, the film debuted at the Toronto International Film Festival before releasing in theaters. Now, it's considered a box office flop and you know was generally compared unfavorably to the original documentary, but uh, Jessica Chastain still got a nomination for Best Lead Actress and, as we noted, also won the SAG Award you know, this past week. Um, the film also received nominations for Best Hair and Makeup, uh, presumably for the four to seven hours a day that Chastain needed to sit uh, in a makeup chair for her prosthetics. Uh, critics gave it a 70% on Rotten Tomatoes. Audiences liked it a little bit more at 87%. Um, on Letterboxd, it has a 3.3 out of 48,000 viewers. This is currently available on, Letter- on HBO Max, which is where I watched it. Um, so, you know, I think, you know, one, I think there are definitely, there's definitely films, uh, I think, each year for lead actress where, you know, the, uh, you know, the film maybe itself, you know, definitely has its flaws, um, but the film itself, um, you know, uh, has a has a role where you know the real reason to watch the film is that lead uh, performance by that lead actress, right? Um, and sir, maybe there is a little bit of a trend where you know the lead actress films rarely ever sometimes there's not a lot of overlap with the uh, with the with the um, what's it with the lead actress film not a lot of overlap uh, with the best picture nominees, um, right? But you know, looking back, you know, we have you know Renee Zellweger in twenty nineteen uh, winning for Judy, uh, Gar- playing Judy Garland and Judy, which also had you know Cynthia Erivo for Harriet Tubman back in Harriet, um, you know. Uh, um, you know, just just in, in the past couple of years, um, last year, you know, we had uh, Alan Ruday playing um, playing Billie Holiday for the United States versus Billie Holiday, as well as Vanessa Kirby uh, and for her role in Pieces of a Woman. Um, so, you know, those films are films where you know the rest of the film not so great, but man, the lead actress really carries the film, and I think this is definitely one of those. Um, you know, Chastain really disappears into this role right now. You know, I. Not I haven't I, I obviously Televangelist has like a bit of a reputation here in the States to some degree and you know there are definitely questionable qualities to it. Um but you know I think it I think you know I was watching an Andrew Garfield which we'll get to Andrew Garfield in a second, an Andrew Garfield interview um with uh with Stephen Colbert when he was talking about uh, Eyes of Tammy Faye before it came out and he said he had gotten a text from um from the son of Jim Baker about hey you know thank you for humanizing my parents um which you know 
say what you will about uh, his parents, especially Jim Baker, uh, who um, has the has is currently alive and and you know has some questionable uh, things that he's been uh, hawking on TV. Um, but you know, I think this definitely did give you a sense of there. Hey, there is a human side to these people who are the butt of a lot of jokes. Which you know, maybe they would maybe they were to serve, maybe they weren't, but they were still human, right? So I think Chastain, especially seeing her progression from her as a you know young adult in um in in college to you know young wife to eventually becoming this you know cultural phenomenon to kind of like being a has been and kind of like that entire range of their of her life i think chastain really did a lot there and you know the makeup is a part of that right i think you know if you were to take a screen from that period when she was in college compared to when uh she was in you know toward the end um you know, I again, I I, ha, I don't really have a frame of reference for Tammy Faye, um, have not having really grown up with her, but uh, on TV and whatnot. But man, you can definitely see it, it's so subtle to see over the course of time. But if there's a time lapse of seeing how it was progressed over the course of the film, you could definitely tell. Like, see, she just disappeared, and that really just added, I think, to the like. This is where the makeup adds to the character. In addition, you know, beyond Chastain, you know, a lot of the other characters um, really matched up well. I think Andrew Garfield specifically. Also, you get to see his face kind of, you know, uh, getting a little bit more rounder, his hair getting a little bit more grayer, and you know, his hairstyle instead of being like the tousled mop, you know, tousled spiky hair we see from Spider-Man films, um, kind of like that, you know, frankly, kind of like Mister Rogers style hair that he kind of develops over the time. Um, you know, I think you know it's not just Jessica Chastain, just Chastain who deserve who is carried the hair and makeup here. I think all the other characters as well definitely have have it going on. Um, now, Andrew Garfield, I think, um, you know, again, I may be a little bit biased. I can't really, uh, I would have liked, I actually think I would have liked to see Andrew Garfield be nominated for Best Supporting Actor here. Um, maybe over J.K. Simmons, I think. Um, but man, I think Andrew Garfield, again, did a lot uh, to really, so, you know, again, maybe, again, what, what say what you will about Jim Baker now. Um, and maybe this isn't actor, maybe it is, you know, but it gives, it, it, it definitely, pay, he definitely makes a case as an actor um, of maybe their intention started off as pure and then got co- in some way and there was like this subtle progression over time as it went along who knows right um can't say again i'm fully sympathetic to jim baker as he is now but i loved andrew garfield's performances here as well as again chastain's for tammy faye um the ending i think was you know and again i think the script in general was kind of eh, you know definitely the problem with biopics in general is that it covers their entire most has a tendency to cover the subject's entire life from when they were very, very young, up to, you know, up, up through some major event and all through the major events of their life to some inspirational ending toward the end. Can't really, I can't say I cared for the ending here particularly that much. And I think, you know, this definitely was maybe like a half hour, a little bit too long, I think. Maybe 20 minutes, a little too long of like, okay, this definitely could have been paced a little bit better, I think. And I think, and just, I think, and and there was, it felt a little bit documentary-ish um, where it just, I think fell apart and just didn't have the wasn't as tight and I think the 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 climactic moment of oh she's coming back out of retirement for this just didn't really hit impactfully I think toward the end. Um overall I think I would say this is probably a 3 out of 5 for me um overall. You know, I don't think it was it wasn't like the best film out there. I wouldn't say it was actively bad though. Um, you know, definitely. I think if compared to other biopics of its peer of of its peer, I think it's kind of average around there. Um, but definitely, you know, maybe the weaker elements, the screenplay and length and editing and so on, definitely was more than made up for by Chastain and Garfield's performance here. Now, with with Eyes of Tammy Faye, I've actually watched all of the Best Actress nominees. Um, so you know, again, we have Kirk, Kristen Stewart uh, from. 
from Spencer, uh, Chastain from Eyes of Tammy Faye, Penelope Cruz from uh, Parallel Mothers, uh, Olivia Coleman from um, Olivia Coleman from uh, Lost Daughter, and Nicole Kidman uh, from um, from um, from Being the Ricardos. Um, I would say generally in that order I think is where I would want the Oscar to go to I think Kurt, Kristen Stewart definitely I think deserves the Oscars more so um, I think I think she in addition to having I think I think part of it maybe is, is, is the film around it I like a little bit more you know Spencer I think has a lot of the does a lot with the biopic format that's that uh, Isaac Tammy Faye kind of fell into the traps that that Stewart that uh, Spencer avoided um, and, and I think you know Stewart I think Kristen Stewart I think definitely just maybe again, it's a little bit familiarity, even though I'm not that familiar with Princess Diana. But I think Kristen Stewart really did a good job there. Um, I would say then Chastain and Cruz, I think, are tied for me for second place. Um, you know, I think you know Jessica Chastain again really sowed that that reigns over like an extended lifetime, whereas Cruz sowed it over like this short period of like maybe a couple of months or so. Um, and and that range of emotions there. Um, and then Coleman and Kidman, you know, I didn't really care for their performances too much. Um, and they were kind of be like. Like tied for I guess fourth overall. Um, so you know, hope, my hope is that Stewart ends up winning, but you know, would be very happy with a Chastain and or Cruz win um, at this point. Now, you know, those are the films I watched this past week. Again, I also watched Attica for the documentary, but I'll save that for next week when I talk about documentaries. Um, so, you know, there are a couple other technical category films I had seen prior to the nominations. Um, on the costume side of things, we have Cruella. Now, this is directed by I, Tanya director Craig Gillespie. Um, uh, the latest li- and this is the latest live action adaptation from Disney. This one released on Disney Plus and in theaters Memorial Day weekend last year and stars Emma Stone as the younger version of the villain from 101. One Dalmatians, and the film is set in the fashion world of 1980s punk rock London. Uh, Cruella is currently nominated for both Best Costume Design and Best Hair and Makeup. It has 74% from critics, 97% from audiences on Rotten Tomatoes, 3.5 from Letterboxd after 369,000 viewers. Uh, Cruella is currently available on Disney+. I'm speaking real quickly here, um, I guess, about the specific... Um, the specific you know nominations nominations here um you know for for hair and makeup you know um i, I mean it, it was pretty good i think um obviously i think the the standout one here is um is 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 emma stone kind of disappearing in that role as as cruella as a younger cruella but um i think it, it is kind of is whatever for for cruella um you know i think it was definitely above i think it definitely deserved nominations i don't think it necessarily deserves the win um and compared to some other stuff that i've seen out there now that being said costume i think i would love for this one to win costume right um when i i saw this moral day weekend in theaters actually and when i walked out i was like I know this is getting nominated for costume, and I find it very hard to believe that anything else aside from this uh, will will win um, will win that. Um, you know, I mean, it's a whole film set in the costume world, right? Uh, in in the fashion world, and just the, some of the crazy things they did with the costumes, both Cruella's crazy costumes as well as kind of the more con- conventional ones that you know Emma Thompson's character designs. Um, they all just stand out, right? Like I would, I could honestly like I'm not usually a big costume guy, but this is one where it just stood out to me. Yes, so I think obviously critical for the film being where it's set in and, and kind of like helping build that character as well. Um, overall, you know, I think I like this film a little bit more than others. I think at the time when I reviewed it, I think I had it a four out of five, though that might have been partly me being back in theaters after a while and enjoying that experience. Um, 
I think overall, probably I'd say closer to a three out of five today if I were to look back on it. Um, now, you know, looking at the other costume nominees, you know, so Cruella is obviously there. We talked about Serrano as well. Um, Dune, you know, typical sci-fi sci film getting getting costume, you know, and also kind of designing, you know, what does the costume have to be for the space world, basically. Um, we have, you know, Nightmare Alley. Um, again, kind of a very a period piece uh, type thing, kind of, you know, using the costume to help give character give character resason um to its individuals and, and cast members and then west side story kind of you know helping them have that stage is feel um while similar to serrano needing to also be easy to move and dance in um frankly i think cruella's kind of blows the water out of all of these and, I, and I, if i'm not mistaken i think it is kind of the favorite for this category as well um you know i think just kind of like the Seeing how crazy you can go with the costumes, I think, is is one way they go about this. And I think, you know, a lot of the other ones, you know, Serrano, Dune, Nightmare Al or and, and West Side Story to some degree are very, you know, functional costumes. Uh, you know, Nightmare Alley is kind of very period piece, I think. Um, but Cruella is just, you know, I think going ball to the walls. This is, let's see how crazy costumes we can get and make it crucial to the story. And I think that's kind of what sets it apart. So I think that's my, my, my pick for, for favorite um, costume here. Uh, and then finally, you know, we have the latest film that I've seen pre-nomination, last film I saw pre-nominations, um, which is House of Gucci. Um, this is a biopic crime drama star directed by Ridley Scott based on the 2001 book of the same name, roughly, uh, following the rise and fall of the Gucci family, you know, the fashion icons played, uh, and the Gucci family here is played by Lady Gaga, Adam Driver, Al Pacino, Jeremy Irons, and Jared Leto. Um, the film released November 2021 to mixed reviews, 62% from critics, 83% from audience, Rotten Tomatoes. Um, it definitely feels that those are uh, Gaga stands and maybe some Adam, Adam Driver fans as well. Um, and it has a 3.0 on Letterboxd with 182,000 viewers. Now, despite a lot of hype going into the award season, the only nomination this got was for Best Hair and Makeup. Uh, House of Gucci is currently available on VOD. I ended up seeing it in theaters with my wife uh, instead of actually seeing West Side Story. Um, oh, it was a West Side Story? Um, I think so. Um, but yeah, I definitely saw this one in theaters uh, with the wife, partly because you know we're both Adam Driver fans at this point. And, um, um, and, you know, I thought this one had Oscar potential to it. Now, you know, I, I, I probably should be sticking to just talking about just, you know, the hair and makeup category. But real quick, I mean, I don't think I can really add anything to what hasn't what's already been said about House of Gucci. The tone here is kind of all over the place. You know, you have some characters, namely Al Pacino and Jared Leto, uh, kind of doing the... You know, really crazy Italian stereotypes here. Um, you know, it's a me, Paolo Gucci, which is always funny because you know my wife says I look like Paolo, I, I look like Jared Leto, and he plays a character named Paolo, which is my name. So that was just kind of always funny to bring up. Um, and then on the other hand, you have Adam Driver and Jeremy Irons kind of playing a more muted, realistic, you know, brooding character. Um, you know, with Lady Gaga sometimes being an Al Pacino in and and Jared Leto's kind of crazy side, and other times kind of being uh, straightforward. I think her character was probably the one I enjoyed least though because I couldn't really get a pinpoint on what she wanted unfortunately um, so that's just kind of ridiculous I think um, and, and the fact that so it's kind of like all over the place acting and tone wise the editing was, definitely was not here this is definitely like a half hour too long I think um, for what it needed to be um, you've know, you had a really either a, a very very campy kind of lean into the the Jared Leto um, Al Pacino 
manic energy or have like a really more serious you know godfather-esque you know um you know uh, uh drama basically where the stakes are higher um you know I, I know a lot of people were thinking hey this might get nominated for a costume you know it's a gucci thing but frankly i was very unimpressed by the costumes i think they were like maybe it was the lighting and the color grading but it just felt very dull and didn't really stand out to me in any real way it's like oh look they're rich okay that's more production design i think than costume design here um and didn't really encompass anything on a uh like on a functional level, right? I think, you know, even Spencer, which didn't get nominated, which I think sort of did a better job of like, hey, we're going to show you some elab- really elaborate costumes and kind of like put them front and center. This one didn't really give that 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 credence to, fa- to, the, to the fashion, which is kind of odd in a film about a fashion icon family. Now, hair and makeup, I think, very much goes, I think 90% of that is being carried um, by Jared Leto and his uh, prosthetics. You know, I think when the trailer first came out, my wife didn't realize who Jared Leto was um, because of, 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 of the hair prosthetics basically going on, which I think adds to his manic energy here, maybe, and, and why he got nominated for Razzie, as well as I think the Golden Globes gave him nomination for Best um, for best Supporting Actor, which he did not get here. Um, you know, kind of wishing, kind of sadly wished that he kind of did just for the, the chaos that would have ensued but um you know i i will say you know kind of on a on a on a, on a technical level very much so i think that hair and makeup on that so I, at the very least i you know maybe some people might say it doesn't look good but i think it just added to the film and enjoyment i think so at the very least i think there's that and you know at the time i viewed the film I, it was like a three out of five for me since then i think i've loaded down to like a two out of five so um definitely not a film where i'm going to re- be revisiting but uh, the the memes from generally i think are just 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 Seth's kiss. Now, you know, looking at the hair and makeup category, unfortunately, you know, with, without coming to America, who won the Hair and Makeup Guild Awards, um, I think that this one uh, is, you know, is kind of hard for me to go ahead and try to say, oh, you know, this is who I think is going to win here. Um, you know, that being said, I think, you know, kind of at, at a high level, I think probably Eyes of Tammy Faye of the four, you know, um, you know, but in addition to Cruella and House of Gucci um, and Eyes of Tammy Faye, there's also Dune, which yeah, I think this is one of Dune's weaker categories. Again, it didn't really stand out so much and wasn't quite as showy. So it's going to be, you know, I think of these four Eyes of Tammy Faye, I'm assuming coming to America doesn't wow me, which it very well could. Uh, with that, you know, this is the, again, so apologies for the delay for this episode. Again, uh, hopefully I can get this episode out. You know, I'm moving on, uh, on Friday as of this, uh, you know, and so, you know, hopefully I can record this hopefully sometime Thursday during the day, maybe, maybe Wednesday night, you know, if I can watch some films before then, um, you know, so, you know, bear with me. Hopefully I'm able to get this out, you know, uh, in by then, if not, you know, you know, wait for my internet to get set up and hopefully I can upload an episode maybe Sunday night again. But, um, you know, hopefully our Oscar death phase goes well and hopefully my move and my death phase, my, my death phase doesn't suffer too much for my move. Um, but in any case, you know, uh, that wraps up this episode of the Oscars death phase podcast. You know, let me know how your death phase is going over on Twitter, Oscars D Cast or via email oscarsdeathwayspodcast at zoom.com. Make sure you subscribe to the show to leave or on your podcast service of choice, iTunes, Spotify, Google Play. You can leave a review there on pot um, or just say it with a friend, you know, just say it with a friend. Any of that helps. Uh, you can directly con- financially con- contribute over on Patreon, link in the show notes. You can also find my letterbox there under the user boy Ninja Boy Boy than I. 
Also, make sure again to check out the Oscar Race and Oscar's Death Race subreddits and the Academy of Death Racers Discord, where again, we have the Deathies coming up. So make sure you join so you can vote uh, for the Deathies and those uh, additional categories I mentioned earlier in the show. And then, of course, you know you can also visit oscarsdeathrace.com to help track uh, your pro- progress against our community. Uh, music is provided by Kevin MacLeod and Competate of Filmmaster.io. Editing production by Ninja Boy Media. This has been Paulo of the... That's it for this week. This has been Paulo of the Oscars Death Race podcast. Until next time, I'm going to be here trying to watch all the Oscar nominees when I'm not trying to move or die trying. Thank you.